0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Netflix Q3 2021 Earnings Interview. I'm Spencer Wong, VP of IR and Corporate Development. Joining me today are Co-CEO Reed Hastings, Co-CEO and Chief Content Officer Ted Sarandos, COO and Chief Product Officer Greg Peters, and CFO Spence Newman. Our interviewer this quarter is Nidhi Gupta from Fidelity. As a reminder, we'll be making forward-looking statements, and actual results may vary. Nidhi, you now have the green light to ask your first question.
1: Thank you, Spencer. Great to be with you all again. First off, I want to say congratulations on all your success in the quarter. 44 Emmy wins, the amazing viewership of Squid Game. My children will never play red light, green light again. (laughs) And your acquisition of uh, Night School Studio and the announced acquisition of the Roald Dahl Story Company. So we have a lot to talk about this quarter. But First, I want to start with subs which came in better than expected. Um, So just help us kind of dissect the outperformance there.
2: Sure, I can take that one, Nitty. Well, um, so great to see you, and and thanks for the kind words in the opening. Um, In terms of uh, what we saw this quarter for Q3, I guess it really boils down to what we saw is sort of what we expected. We we talked about in the last call that we hoped that we were getting towards that kind of, tail end of the COVID choppiness of the pull forward of subgrowth into 2020 and those production delays that we're working through as well. And that's, uh, that's kind of what we're seeing. So throughout the quarter, the business remained healthy as it had been throughout the year with churn at low levels down prior to the comparable periods, both in 2020 and two years ago, pre-COVID in 2019. So retention was very healthy and viewing was up. Viewing per member, maybe slightly down compared to the very COVID distorted 2020 Q3, but up, healthy compared to 2019 comparable period. And then what we saw as the quarter continued into September, um, we saw acceleration in our, in our growth, which is what we had been hoping for and expecting, but it was good to see as we got into the strength of our schedule. Uh, we had a couple. Big hits, as you know, you mentioned one with Squid Game, La Costa de Papel, the first part of season five. But all, a lot of variety and quality programming throughout the quarter, with things like Never Have I Ever, Never Have I Ever, and he's all that, and uh, Chestnut Man, and, and Copenhagen at the, end, at the end of the quarter. So just um, that's basically the way the way it played out is as we got into the strength of the schedule, on top of already kind of healthy business uh, fundamentals, we saw a bit of an uptick in growth.
1: Thank you for that. And can you talk a little bit about the um, weakness that you saw in Latin America? What what drove that and how is that making you think about the longer term prospects there?
2: Sure, I can take that one as well. Another should jump jump in. Um, for Latin America, we uh, saw that growth was a, a little bit soft in the quarter. It was um, it's primarily, you know, um, uh, we took some, uh, some price increases in, in Brazil in Q3 and as you know, not, not unexpected, that you know tends to, when we do those things, slow down growth a little bit for the short term. Um, the good news is we, we only take pricing like that, um, as, as Greg speaks to a lot, when we believe we're increasing the value to our members and we believe we've done that. Um, so there's it's a sort of a short term slowdown in growth, but good for our business. And we're, we're already continuing to grow through it. But it did slow us down a little bit in Latin American Q3. And as so we also talked about in the letter for Latin America and UCAN, both of those markets are a bit more uh, mature, more tenured, uh, more penetrated than some of our other, other markets. So we would expect growth to be just a little bit harder to work, work for, but, uh, but still a lot of runway for growth in, in both of those regions.
3: And I'd only add that just like everywhere else in the world, we have to make the shows and films that people in Latin America love. And that's, what's going to continue to fuel our growth. Q4, uh, by way of example, we have a new season of Sinfonia coming up, which is our largest original series from Brazil. Uh, so it really, and we think that these big uh, high profile shows and Louis Miguel, Luis Miguel in Mexico, this new season coming up will continue to, to reignite growth in that area as well.
1: Great. And as, you know, we look ahead to Q4, you have an extensive content slate coming. What's sort of the magnitude of impact you would expect to see on gross ads and churn just based on history? Or, you know, is the huge number of additions that you pulled into the service in 2020 making that relationship less clear, perhaps?
2: Well well, we don't really we don't really break down the, the differential between the two, other than to say that the what we've sort of been seeing throughout the year, we would expect to continue in terms of that healthy retention. And then this kind of acceleration as we get past those market, re- those initial market reopenings with COVID, past the, that COVID pull forward and into the strength of our slate, as you say, across the board from big returning English language series like The Witcher and Cobra Kai and um, even some unscripted like Tiger King and then non-English. Uh, language series like like um, uh, you know La Casa, like we talked about already. We got the final, uh, the final, final in, in uh, late in the quarter, and then we've got big big films like Red Notice and Harder They Fall. Uh, so there, there's just a lot coming. So it going into that um, uh, strength of our slate plus stronger seasonal period, that's kind of playing into it with underlying uh, healthy retention.
4: What um, Spencer is saying. Uh, fundamentally, is we're in uncharted territory, nitty. We have so much content uh, coming in Q4, like we've never had. So we'll have to feel our way through, and it rolls into a, a great next year, also.
3: That's the, the, In one quarter to have this many high-profile films and the returning seasons of our most high, our most popular shows, uh, and we're in new, new territory of uh, co- normalized post-COVID or pre-COVID or in-COVID, all those different ways that we kind of. Uh, uh, that impact the metrics and the performance we're all looking at how that's going to impact, but it's, it's, we certainly think it's positive.
1: Great. And sorry, Spence, were you going to say something?
2: No, I was just kind of the net of it, as you see in the guide. So the guide is at eight and a half million paid net ads is, is essentially in line with the past uh, few years, even pre COVID where we're kind of in that eight to 8.8 million ish range. Right.
1: Right. And, and you mentioned 2022, you know, as the, as the world starts to normalize, next year. um, You know, we'll see what that looks like. But how do you feel about your ability to sort of get back to that, you know, 27, 28 million annual sub edition level? And, you know, I hesitate to even ask ask the question because, you know, we're sort of anchoring to this 27 million, which um, it would would be helpful to understand actually why it, it fell into that consistent range over the last few years. And you know, are we wrong to sort of anchor on that recent history to begin with?
2: you want me to take it?
4: <laughs> I can take it, um, Spence. You know, the big picture is no one's really sure, Nitty. Um, you know, you can't come off the craziness of COVID um, and be confident of the next two years. So um, we're going to push really hard. If we think about the big picture, you know, we're at 200 and something million. That's pretty small compared to pay TV households, ex-China. So just matching to pay TV households, plenty of room for growth. Um, streaming is developing, you know, at a great pace, all kinds of devices and competitors helping that market growing. Um, you know, competition, obviously that's a factor, um, but the amount of scale of content and entertainment that we have, And the way we're set up, you know, it's like Squid Game's incredible. But it's not that Ted commissioned it. The most incredible part is it's the system that Ted's built with highly distributed. (laughs) Um, You know, and it was one of our leaders in Korea two years ago that commissioned it. Um, And so there's got to be other amazing ones like that that even Ted or I or or any of us don't even yet know about um, that are digesting in the Netflix content engine. Um, so we certainly hope so, but, you know, there's no real certainty. I wouldn't want to give it, like, management credibility of that. Um, we want it, and we're going to push hard into it. But I think we're all wrestling with the post-COVID, how
2: do things come back together. Spence, anything you want to add on that? Uh, uh, no, yeah, I mean, you, you you really hit it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about – As Reed talked about, we're just trying to continually improve our service around content and the ability to discover that content with our choosing and driving conversation every day and getting better every day. And if we can do that and be that first choice in entertainment, then ultimately that's what's driving that secular growth from linear to streaming entertainment. And over long trends, it tends to be, at least to date, fairly predictable, just as we saw through Q3. And if we deliver our our guidance through Q4 over a trailing 24-month period, that's about 55 million paid net ads, or about 27.5 million on average, which is kind of where we've been the last few years. But to Reed's point, we can't predict with certainty, but those secular growth trends are, are um, uh, pretty strong so long as we continue to improve our service.
1: Great. Well, Ted, turning it over to you, um, you know, Squid Game is top of mind for – a lot of folks, um, clearly for Reed and Spencer as well. Just, uh, <laughs> you, <say. laughs> you know, it's your, your biggest series launch ever, 142 million viewers in the first few weeks, as you said in the letter, you know, many of those viewers outside of its home market, South Korea, which makes it even more impressive. Can you talk to us about how this happened? What, what made the show so successful around the world?
3: Well, I think it's really, it goes into this kind of storied history of content creation. Uh, Squid Game, as Reed pointed out, got, was picked up a couple of years ago from the, the Korea team, who did recognize it to be one of what they thought would be their biggest title this year. So good that they did. Uh, but I can't tell you that we had the same uh, eyeball on it to tell you that it was going to be the biggest title in our history around the world. And to your point, uh, the growing the- outside of Korea has been phenomenal. And everywhere, everywhere we operate. So if you look at these numbers, they are, um, the internal viewing looks a lot like a local language show in the in any country. You look at it. It was enormously successful. And, uh, that's, you know, 10 years trying to sell the show. Our team recognized something that nobody else did uh, and and created an environment for that creator to make a great show. So, um, viral, you know, how something can go viral is uh, really hard to predict. Uh, but it's super powerful when it happens and the show has to deliver the goods. Uh, to be able to deliver that much viewing uh, and, to, and, to, and to have people talk about it in such shorthand that you can spoof it on Saturday Night Live because it's so in the zeitgeist. I said it for you. Um,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it happens. So we feel it when it's happening. And you know when it's happening, it's a little hard to predict sometimes. Sometimes you think you've got lightning in a bottle and you're wrong. And sometimes you think you've got a great Korean show that turns out to be lightning in a bottle for the world. Um, but remember, it's, uh, that came for Korea, which is super phenomenal. Uh, but we've had successes not on that scale, but like that, um, with La Casa de Papel from Spain, with Lupin from France, uh, with the, uh, the, the film Blood Red Sky from Germany, uh, from sex education in the UK, where, where the stories of the world can increasingly come from anywhere in the world. And this is a thing that we really work on day in and day out. Um, and the teams that are doing that around the world, the thing that they're mostly focused on is a great, great windfall when these things happen. But they're mostly focused on a bunch of shows you never heard of, uh, like, but but that are hugely, hugely impactful in territory. Cincinnati in Brazil, Chestnut Man right now in Denmark for us is an enormous success. Uh, coming up in the quarter, uh, a, a spin-off version of Call My Agent from India, uh, the Italian film, The Hand of God, uh new season of Luis Miguel. So these are all shows that are meant to be hugely um, uh, impactful and loved in territory. And if they really catch on they travel a lot Uh, but they're really focused on making a difference and around the world non-english content viewing has grown three times since we started in 2008 making content so i started thinking about the impact of that and the impact of that growth and the idea that we can put new storytellers into the world from everywhere in the world and they will shape the way tv and film is made in the future
1: Yeah, no, I mean, my guess would be you're reaching close to a billion TV fans globally um, with your content, and that can obviously generate a lot of virality for a great piece of content. As you said, the the content has to deliver. What does a success like Squid Game and, you know, all of the other international um, hits that you've talked about, what does that mean for your ability to acquire the best stories going forward, especially in international markets where there aren't as many global buyers of content?
3: Yeah, look, the best content has always been competitive. And ever since we got into this, we've been navigating these waters of really competitive spaces to find the content. The one thing we can promise international creators is the um, possibility uh, of having a Squid game experience uh, where the star of your show in Korea can go from 400,000 social media followers to 15 million in five days. It's that kind of thing that happens on this, you know, uh, that can happen on Netflix because we have this really engaged fan base and we have this UI that recognizes and helps them figure out how to find the show they're going to love, even if they never watched a show from Korea. I think it's an amazing uh, proof point of the content, but it's also an amazing proof point of the delivery system that helps people find content.
1: Right. I mean, you're, you're nine years into your original content strategy, Ted. Um, You know, you've had a steady stream of hit shows. You're, you know, you have a high share of the top IMDb shows at any given time. You seem to have at least one show a year that everyone is talking about. Um, Can, can you talk about why we haven't seen sort of that consistency of success in original films yet? Is there anything inherently different about getting a hit film versus a hit show? And if there are, how can you sort of address those differences over time?
3: Well, remember we're, we're a few years behind in the film business, the way we, from our TV business, we only started making <clears throat> meaningful budget uh, original film about three years ago. So, and in that time we've had, you know, five Oscar nominated best pictures and some big, big films in terms of viewing. You see that in, in the letter where we publish some of those numbers. Um, I think it's interesting that um, that's going to continue to grow, and I don't think we'll—I don't have any doubt that we're going to see that kind of kind of excitement in the culture around our movies as we have our TV show over time. Uh, it's interesting that people love to talk about their, their favorite TV show in a different way than they do movies. Uh, so I think maybe it's just, it just feels a little bit louder. But as you see in those numbers, uh, we're getting big viewing on our original films, and we're gonna, some of our biggest bets yet are coming in the fourth quarter of this year and the first half of next year.
1: Right. Um, switching gears to engagement for a second, you've been doing a lot more with mobile in recent years. You've you know, obviously got the mobile-only plans. Um, you're launching mobile games now. You launched mobile trailers a while ago. Fast laughs recently. Is it a strategic priority at the company to grow mobile engagement specifically?
5: Well, I think the strategic priority needy is to sort of meet our members where they're at, and uh, the vast majority of our members engage with us on a mobile device. And so we want to make sure that, you know, when they're at that moment, and then sometimes that's, you know, uh, when they're out and about, uh, that they have the opportunity to get a great Netflix experience with their mobile phone. And that could be, to your point, it could be trailers, it could be fast laughs, something that's shorter, or it could be actually just getting the next 10 minutes of Squid Game because they were watching it, you know, in their home when they left and they had to go out and then we could have an uninterrupted experience there. So we definitely want to target um, those devices and, and do the sort of best we can in terms of giving our members great experiences on those devices as well.
1: And you mentioned uh, you mentioned mobile games. You know, great to see you launch some games in the quarter. Greg, maybe talk to us a little bit about what you've learned from the experience of both producing and launching those games, both the mobile games in Poland, Italy, and Spain, as well as the Oculus game.
5: Yeah, I would say it's um, we're incredibly early in this process, and mostly what we've done um, to date is about. Um, essentially, making sure that all of our systems are working uh, as we expect, so it 's really about proving to ourselves that we can do the delivery in the way that we want, and we 're building all the systems around it. The same things that 's made um, our service very powerful for recommending movies and TV shows, what Ted mentioned you know sort of connecting great content creators into this audience that 's the capability that we need to build on the game side as well now, so We're really just sort of checking off the first bits of that process, and that's going well. We've got a positive trajectory. But I think what you're, you know, trying to get to, which is all the sort of much more, you know, exciting questions that come behind that, which means, like, what's the business value? How do we think about engagement? What are specific genre or title performance? We're still, you know, many months and really, frankly, years um, into learning incrementally about all those um, details. So really more to come there.
1: As a management team, you've always been laser focused on the consumer, which has led to a lot of success in TV and films. And I'm curious, how can you improve the consumer experience in games? What kinds of new game experiences or new distribution models can you enable, particularly you know, early on, not having to worry about direct monetization?
5: Yeah, and I think it's important to note that, first of all, you know, we're going to learn our way through that just as we have um, in the other content categories that we've served. And we'll learn by basically, you know, putting stuff out there and then, you know, having our members tell us what's working and what's not. But we're excited about the idea that by taking away what we see as distractions from the core enjoyment experience associated with other models like advertisements or uh, in-app monetization per title uh, costs that we can really give uh, our members you know a much you know easier uh, direct enjoyment experience with games just like we have with TV shows um, and movies and there's a great flip side to that coin as well which is that our creators, can really put all of their energy, everything they're excited about, into making that maximal enjoyment experience for um, the users, the players of those games, without having to worry about those other things that um, they have to in other models in terms of monetization. So that's one really um, key area that we're excited to explore. And another one is that we think that this just connects really well with the other work that we are doing you know we're creating all these amazing universes and worlds and characters and storylines and we can attach um you know to the passion and fandom that our members have on viewing those on the video side with game experiences and allow them to go deeper and explore spaces that they you know wouldn't have otherwise seen on the video side and so we really think there's a good connection and synergy there and over time we'll try and bring those closer together and sort of let those two worlds more influence each other and have a, a more direct connection. But again, that's something that, you know, as years in the making, we've really got to iteratively explore. And, you know, and I, none of us know exactly what that will look like because we'll have to sort of find our way as we go.
4: And maybe imagine three years from now and, you know, some future Squid Game is launching and it comes along, you know, with an incredible array of interactive or gaming options and it's all built into the service. Um, and then, of course, you've got your off Netflix aspects, the experiences that we're building out, consumer products, all of that coming together. So, you know, a company like Disney still ahead of us in some of those dimensions of putting that, that whole experience together. Uh, but, boy, are we making progress. And uh, so exciting over the next uh, three to five years. Uh, kind of closing that gap and and hope to pass them on, you know, that spectacular all around experience.
1: That's that's great color and, you know, you mentioned Squid Game and this idea of kind of building the worlds and the experiences around the IP. How tightly do you want to control the IP for games and experiences that are created, you know, on other platforms, Roblox, for example, has a lot of Squid Game inspired Um, activities and games right now. How how do you think about that going forward?
5: Well, it's just tremendously exciting to see something like uh, Squid Game, you know, blow up in the cultural zeitgeist there you go Ted I stole your word here um, and then how that basically shows up that passion for the for the title shows up in all these different places we definitely want to be part of you know um, some of that passion and the games and the interactive experiences we do will will be designed and you know we'll get better and better at trying to make sure that those are available and land and are ready to be compliments um, when that happens but you know there's no I think monopoly on that, that passion and so you'll see it and their places. And, you know, people are, are sending around TikTok videos or they're doing their own um, sort of uh, mini games and Roblox or things like that. I think that's great. And I think that uh, we should celebrate that, that fandom and that excitement as well.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think will be the hardest part about creating great games? What are sort of the skills and assets you feel like you already have Versus what you need to attain. And maybe, you know, you can sort of comment on, on Night School Studio in the context of that. You know, why was that the perfect acquisition for you when you sort of surveyed the landscape?
5: Yeah, well, it's it's a whole different muscle, right? And, and creating games is this... Uh, Alchemy of a whole variety of stuff where you have engineering, you have the design and the story, and then you have sort of a data element, especially in games that are sort of living and, 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 you know, evolve as players interact with it. So we've never done that before. And so the hard part is going to be putting that all together and really, you know, learning how to be successful at that. and, you know, again, back to your point previously, we've only been in the originals game for less than a decade. And, you know, we've done a pretty good job at um, building the capability to be better and better at that. And so, you know, our plan is to essentially follow that same trajectory and apply the same kind sort of approaches that we have, um, and really be focusing as a learning organization Or how do we advance those skills. And I think we're gonna take a bunch of different approaches to try and um, be successful in that space, just like we did in movies and, and TV shows. You know, if you think about, um, you know, license to partner produced to to self produced, you know, there's a multiple avenues that we get to to producing incredible entertainment experiences for our members. I think we're going to take a similar approach with games, which will have multiple different approaches, including um, an internal game development capability, and that internal capability really allows us to sort of push the edges on. You know, what is interactive storytelling and how do we bridge that more tightly with the the linear storytelling that we're doing um, on the video side? So we want to build that up. And one of the ways to sort of accelerate that process um, is, you know, when we find the right opportunities through acquisition, and that's what we did with Night School. And we're tremendously excited about um, that team in specific because – they really, you know, the, the, the core of what they've done is to try and explore story and narrative essentially as the as the central game mechanic. Um, and we think that fits really, really well with what we're trying to do. And so it's been great to get them, um, you know, on board and involved and to hear their thoughts and ideas. And I expect it will be a sort of a rich uh, partnership over years to come.
4: Great. And, and, yeah. oh, go ahead. Uh, Greg and Spencer, how do you want to set Nitty's expectations in terms of future night schools?
5: Again, it's something that uh, will be opportunistic. So I would say don't expect us to go on a a tearing buying spree or, you know, something like that. You know, this will be one of the tools that we use. And, you know, we'll use it opportunistically when we find a a great opportunity out there. And Spencer or Spencer, do you want to elaborate on that?
0: I think you hit the nail on the head, Greg. I think you know, Nitty, as you can tell from our track record, we are fairly selective when it comes to M&A. But you know, as Greg said, when an opportunity presents itself where we feel like we're aligned, you know, with the company, I think that's an opportunity we'll take. Um, but again, you know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, nothing more than that.
2: And, and the the only thing I'd add, just more broadly, Nitty, is just, uh, and Greg talked about this, uh, touched on this, which is, this is going to be, we're learning into this. So This is in terms of business impact over time from games. This is not just months, but years of building. So even in our most kind of ambitious success scenario, it will be years, we would expect, uh, before this could have a meaningful impact on our business. So very excited for the long term. We're going to be patient. We're going to move quickly and learn quickly, but, but this is a multi-year
1: build. Well, we're excited to see what you build. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving over to you, Ted, uh, you know you announced the acquisition of the Roll Doll story company this quarter as well. Can you talk about your vision for this IP? Yeah,
3: look, I think the, the, the dolls characters that were created over the years uh, have had an incredibly uh, enduring staying power for kids and parents. Uh, they've done really well in, in feature film. And I think we had an interesting take when we entered into our commercial relationship with, with the storytelling, with the Storytelling Company. Uh, to make uh, a very kind of feature uh, feature quality animated series based on these characters and books. Um, and through that process, we went through the organization, our, our uh, live action film te- uh, TV teams, our film series teams, and everybody going through saying, and there was enough interest and desire to create in this universe that we thought it would make sense uh, for it to, be, to all reside here in Netflix, uh, creating stories for the world from this universe, uh, with these really richly developed characters that have done great, like from James and the Giant Peach to, uh, BFG and, of course, Willy Wonka and all the characters that are coming from that. Uh, we're doing an origin story series on the from, from Willy Wonka. Uh, and we've had so much creator interest, uh, from all of our overall partners, uh, that want to tell stories in this world that we thought it was a great partnership to, to move forward on and bring it inside Netflix and see if we couldn't, uh, preserve these great stories for, for the future. And I think, by the way, we'll, tell, we'll create value uh, in our game in our game world. Uh, we certainly can continue to create value in the publishing world, uh, and our consumer products group is just just sinking their teeth into it now.
1: Ted, maybe more more broadly, what have been sort of your key learnings developing the kids content vertical over the last, you know, five years or so? What does it take to really succeed with this audience?
3: Uh, it's still a long term out, a long time out. You know, our investment uh, feels like it's been we've been at this a long time, but the production cycles on these feature films, by way of example, you know, it could be three to five years. Um, so that's the the learn is, you know, we're a we're a pretty impatient lot. So we're trying to run as fast as we can. So we've got this one part of the business that it's going to take a little bit longer to prove itself out or not. Uh, what I have found is though that we've got you know the, some of the greatest storytellers on the planet uh, making their next projects at Netflix. And we're really excited to see how they're coming together. Um, What I believe is that you don't need necessarily this enormous machine to create brand loyalty around kids' characters and kids' film. Uh, We've had great success on, without any of the machine, without any of the machine, just being able to be a very important part of kids' viewing life. So I think we've got to really focus on, like we do everything else, on how good is the the storytelling, how good is the execution, how great is the production value. Uh, are we advancing the art of animation or the animation world, which will continue to attract the best and brightest? Uh, and those things I think we're all on the right track for. And I think it's going to take a couple more years for it to really uh, play itself
1: out. Mm-hmm. Well, you will definitely have an audience for your doll content in my household. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> looking forward to it. Um, you know, a couple of you mentioned consumer products. You, you know, recently launched an e-commerce site as well as a partnership with Walmart. Can you talk about how developed your plans are for consumer products and what are you trying to achieve over the long term?
3: Uh, I believe that the, the consumer products is a really a great way to enhance uh, the relationship with content and fans. So when you can, like, like Reed and uh, <laughs> Spence are, are, mo- are modeling for us right now. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're loving Squid Game and you show up in that tracksuit, you're going to be the talk at the, the dinner party. So, so the ability to do that, I think, is really, is, we have it in our wheelhouse to be able to do it and to grow it big. Um, I don't think, you know, even a huge success, uh, against the, the, the revenue and margins of the, of the core business, that it'll look like it'll make much difference in terms the core for us is that it gets very, very big so that it enhances the talkability and, uh, um, zeitgeist moments around our content and gives fans a way to express that fandom in a way that amplifies it and attracts more fans.
1: Great. Spence, um, switching gears to margins, always Mm -hmm. a fun topic. Um, You know, as you invest in gaming and some of these other initiatives that we've been talking about on this call, how comfortable are you doing that within kind of the 300 basis point margin improvement per year, uh, particularly if revenue growth sort of slows below the 20 percent level?
2: Sure. Well, yeah. I, as you point out, we're, we're uh, you know our, our revenue growth remains healthy. It is, um, but it is at right around at that point. So with our guidance, we're guiding to roughly just a tick under twenty percent, nineteen percent revenue growth for the year. Still very healthy revenue growth. I mean, for that's on a base of roughly thirty billion dollars of revenue. So if we can sustain. Um, Anything around those levels—that's um, that's pretty rare air at that scale—and and so we'll we'll work hard to do that. And that comes down to what I said before. Ultimately, what we what we can how we control that is, you know, our best control it is to make our service better and better every day through this amazing variety and quality of content and better discovery of that content and and connecting with our fans around the world. So that's that's what we're focused on. If we can do that. Um, and we can kind of manage our business in, in a prudent, scrappy way, uh, we're, we're committed to doing so. For, so for the next few years, at least, we're committed to making those trade-offs, growing healthy, strategically investing in the business, and growing our margins at that roughly three percentage points per year, on average, on a kind of a um, on a multi-year basis.
1: And, and longer term, you know, when you think about what it takes to fulfill the content needs of, Everyone you want to reach every day of the week. Do you look at your current, you know, kind of 17 billion dollars of cash spend and say, well, it's easy to imagine that being, you know, 2x or 3x that level to achieve what we want to achieve. You know, I (laughs) I remember Spencer used to throw out an estimate that there's something like 100 billion dollars being spent globally per year to produce content, and I'm sure that number is is higher now, but is that sort of the context you think about, and do you feel like you're still relatively early or fairly far along? Uh, I can jump in. You, uh,
2: uh, oh, no, you, I you, know,
3: you know I'll take it, but Go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we we always know that Ted will find ways question. to will <laughs> find ways to spend more on content. Um. Uh. So no, the the short of it is that we um uh we think we're still early days. I mean, we talk even in the letter about. You know the, the secular growth here is this transition from linear to streaming entertainment, even in our most uh, most to kind of mature markets like like the U.S., which we show in the letter, we're at between six percent of of TV share in terms of screen time. And so, uh, and you know, in, in categories we talked about, you know, gaming, we're literally just getting started. So who knows where that's going to take us? Animation, we talked about, we're just a few years into a long cycle. These non-English language uh, series and films around the world. We're we're now producing it, uh, in roughly 45 countries around the world. It'll be more than 50 next year. But again, still early days. So we think we have a super long runway here to address those, you know, upwards of a billion, uh, you know, pay TV households or broadband households, however you measure it, uh, around the world. So. Um, you know, what we look at is are we continuing to grow in a healthy way, driving acquisition, retention, more viewing, delivering more joy to our members? Um, I don't think there's a precise number there, any other than that we have the ability, we believe, to grow across all those content categories for the foreseeable future, some more than others, right, in terms of pace of growth. So some of those are just earlier and higher growth, but we're growing across, across all those content categories, and we don't, we don't see a ceiling, um, at least for the foreseeable future.
0: And since I threw out that number, Nidhi, I guess uh, I'll just add on a, one minor comment, which is, look, I think we feel very confident about the next couple of years, given just the trajectory of the business. I think we're just going to feel our way along and monitor all those things that Spence talked about, right, which is engagement and retention and things of that nature to sort of judge the appropriate level of spend. Well, I
1: got a thumbs up from Reed when I said
0: 2x or 3x, so. <laughs> <It's early. laughs> really entertain the
4: world. You know, if we even ex China, if we're able to pull that off um, and be the place that the whole world goes to for most of their entertainment, um, then you're definitely thinking too small. Now, it'll take a couple decades to get there. It's not overnight. But, you know, in the long term, we got to be able to monetize it. So we got to be able to have the revenue growth and margins. But it would be incredibly satisfying if we could build up. Um, to much bigger content budgets that we have usefully deployed for our members' love and across all those categories.
0: Nitty, uh, we have time for uh, two last questions, please.
1: Great. Um, Greg, I'll, I'll switch it over to you for a second. Um, you know it, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, but Netflix has grown so fast that I imagine the company has not been able to sort of dot its I's and cross its T's along the way. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, as you look around the company's operations, what are sort of the biggest areas of optimizations that you see? And maybe more specifically on the, on the studio, what can sort of taking a tech company approach to studio operations unlock over, the ta- over time and what's kind of the magnitude of gain to be had?
5: Well, as you know, it's still we're a work in progress. But I'd say we're we're constantly work in progress because we constantly aspire to be better and better. And one of the things I, I love about working here is is that that you know, unsatiable appetite for for improvement. And one of the areas, one of the biggest dimensions that we're seeing, which is I think really apropos to sort of what we've been talking about in this call. Is how we go from being really a, a U.S. company that has international relation, international operations, to really a, a truly global company, and we can see the, you know, the opportunity there. Whether it's you know, in seeing content like Squid Game or Lupin or Casa de Papel. Um, And we really want to just do that more and more and more. And so we're working through how do we as a company, you know, set ourselves up to operate even more effectively um, in that context and do even more of, of what you've sort of seen with those titles. So that's a big dimension of growth for us. And then um, on the studio side, you know, we're really excited about, um, how do we, you know, leverage some of the, what we have as, you know, DNA in the company around tech and things like that to try and figure out is there a way to better serve our creators and our creative partners, give them a bigger palette, a bigger envelope, um, to, to work from. And I think one of the exciting areas around this is again, you know, that sort of platform, if you will, of, of creation, that sort of set of tools and, and capabilities. We can do that um, well, we can sort of give that to everybody, all of our creative partners around the world, and give them a you know, sort of a, a, a bigger place to stand from and tell their story. And that's pretty exciting.
1: Great. Well, last question for everyone What is your favorite recent show or movie on Netflix, other than Squid Game?
4: <laughs> oh, I was going to go with The Maid. Um, it's it. just incredible character drama. Um, so well put together uh, to the investor audience. I'll bet that it's even more pleasing than Squid King. <laughs> I'm
5: going to go with Chestnut Man, uh, our latest Danish uh, series. So atmospheric. And since I haven't been to uh, Denmark in a long time, I felt like I was there by watching it.
2: Uh, I could go. Uh, well, I, you know. Gosh, and, and not squid. I mean, I, I, I loved uh, La Casa. I'm enjoying Made, but I'm not all the way through. Um, uh, I'll, I'll stop there.
3: Uh, Ray, Ray stole my thunder on Made, uh, but I would say that the final season of La Casa de Papel is not disappointing. I can't wait for the second batch to hit so, so I could talk about it with everybody. Uh, it's really, it's really like that excitement of a big budget feature in every hour of that show. It's really, exciting, really incredible.
0: For me, i got two episodes left of Squid Game, um, but I would say the other one is uh, Sex Education Season 3 was, uh, was my favorite recent one as well. Ted, do you want to take us home?
3: Yeah, look, I want to say, first of all, th- um, thanks for doing this today. We've had uh, what I think is a, a, a tremendous quarter uh, delivering on films and TV shows that people really love and love to talk about. And if we keep doing that well, that's what fuels our growth. We are focused on delivering value every time one of our members tries to figure out what they want to watch next. Every time they figure out how much they want to spend for to entertain themselves, we want to be in that equation. And we do that. I think if we focus on that the way we have for films, the way we have for series, and the way we will for games, that we're going to be um, delivering hours and hours and hours of entertainment and hours and hours of, of joy for our members. And we're midway through October, and in Q4 still to come. We have our biggest film vets we've ever made, star-studded, crowd-pleasing movies like Red Notice and Harder They Fall and Don't Look Up, uh, returning seasons of our most popular shows like The Witcher, uh, La Casa de Papel, You, Emily in Paris, Cobra Kai, and it's, that's just in Q4. Uh, so if we keep doing what we're doing and you keep coming back, we're going to keep you entertained. And thanks for, uh, for visiting
2: with us.